Hi, welcome to another install. I get so excited when I do these all let it up. So hi and welcome to another installment of Chatter About the Chatter. I'm your host, Cuddy Cudworth, uh, the proud founder uh, of CEO and CEO of Monkey Mind Relaxation. We all know and we should know by now that the art of monkey mind realization is relaxation is to not let your thoughts and emotions control you. That's what happens when we get the work together. We start mastering the art of keeping calm and zen. Uh, and mastering those emotions and those thoughts. That's the premise of the chatter about the chatter. And today's guest comes from a place that I absolutely love <laughs> talking about. I love NLP. And I'll tell it, I'll, I'll be very honest. Uh, NLP is, is one of the biggest things that saved my life. Saved my life for depression. Because when I when I was in depression, I didn't realize, I'm always honest about that, I didn't know I was in a depression because I just had all these thoughts and emotions going on. And it was like, how do I get past depression? So I Googled how to get, but I said, try NLP, NLP, NLP. I'm like, what the hell is NLP? No idea. And then it was like, right, I'll look for a book, NLP books. And all these books came up by all these authors and these people you're going to be talking about over the next time. So NLP, massive fan of NLP. So I, Orlando, allow me to introduce you, the uh, proud founder and owner of NLP Fusion, traveled the world, now living in the UK. Orlando Zucchetto, say hello, sir. Hey, hello everybody, and uh, cheers, Cuddy. It's great to great to be here, mate. Good to finally meet you after seeing you floating through social media the last few months, and then through a mutual friend, one quick connection, and here we are. Absolutely. So, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we are going to have a fascinating talk about it. what I've liked about the podcast at the moment is I'm getting completely different guests talking about different things. Uh, and spreading the love and get, getting the information out to absolutely everybody that you don't actually have to struggle with depression, anxiety, overthinking. And NLP is a big, oh, it's a massive help for all these things. Oh, it genuinely is. So tell us about you, Orlando, because uh, you gave you just before we start the podcast a fantastic story of who you are and how you got here. So take us on that story, Orlando. <laughs> Well, um, as you can tell from your accent, I'm not from around here. Um, I started my life, yes, down in New Zealand, um, and I spent the first few decades of my life moving around New Zealand. Um, around decade number two, or just after that began, uh, I was in a sales role, and one of the guys that I was working with, uh, I was very interested in getting better because at uh, 21, 22, if I could get better at what I was doing, I could work less and play more. Yep. And this was very high on my priorities in my early 20s. Um, and in one of the jobs that I had, there was a guy by the name of Graham Taylor Edwards, who I'm really happy to mention. Uh, I think he's living in Australia now, retired. Uh, but Graham, there was two things about him. Number one, Graham was a weapon when it came to selling. Um, he would be talking to a client and he, I, I would track what was going on. And then he'd go off on a tangent. And then a minute later, everyone was happy in buying from him. And I, I couldn't figure out what he was doing. That was the first thing that got me with Graham. The second was, and I say this with love, Graham Taylor Edwards was the most infectious person I've ever met in my life. No matter where we went, no matter what we were doing, socially, at work, after work, people would just gravitate to Graham. Now, I'll put it in perspective for you. Graham was, uh, I, I don't actually know how old he was, but from my 20s, he was old. <laughs> <laughs> now, at my age now, he was a, he was a pup. <laughs> he was uh, 50 odd or in his 50s. Um, he was short. He was kind of round. He had a bit of gray hair and he was English. And he just wasn't my idea of someone that I'd follow for success. But there was just something about the guy, myself included. People just wanted to be around him. And you just felt really good when you were around this guy. And I said to him one day, Graham, look, I know you're doing something. There's a method here and I can't figure out what it is. What are you doing? Now, Graham, in fairness, uh, he had me pegged and he probably knew a little bit more about me than I knew about myself at the time. He looked me in the eye. He started laughing, a great big belly laugh, and he walked away. Oh, oh I had to know what it was now. So I, I, over the coming weeks, uh, I, I badgered him a wee bit. And then about six weeks later, out of the blue, he handed me a little uh, paper flyer brochure. And it said, um, Introduction to Neuro Linguistic Programming for Business Communications. 
And I had no idea what that, I, I knew what business communications might mean, but I really had no idea what it meant. I knew it was the thing. So I had to go and find a phone because for some of your listeners, this might be news, but phones weren't always mobile. That's true. <laughs> I had to go and find one attached to the wall and make a call, book in. And about four weeks later, I traveled 500 miles from home and went to a three-hour introduction. And mind-blowing. I was sitting in this introduction to Neuro Linguistic Program to NLP. And to me, the translation was, here's the closest thing that we've ever found to a user manual for that brain in between your ears. Here's access to tools where you can tweak and make changes in your own mind and you can assist the minds of others to move towards buying your products and services. It was business after all. Well, I loved it. I loved the idea of it. And that began a journey for me. Uh, I very soon after that, uh, back in the day when it was done so, uh, over five months, I completed my practitioner training, um, continued to absorb information um, and move across into subjects like hypnosis, uh, hypnotic language, conversational hypnosis, language of influence, sales, anything that could uh, add to what I was already doing but only from people that had done it successfully. Yeah. And that was a huge game changer for me, was uh, taking the skill, which is modeling, and that we've all, we've all used it. You know, NLP is the study of the structure of successful behavior, which means you've got to find someone that's successful and, and then study what they're doing yeah. to find out how they're doing and then replicate the behavior, replicate the results. Um, you know, we've all done it. We're, we're, anyone that can speak a language has replicated results from those around them. And they've done it in such an efficient way, they don't even remember learning it. They just learned it. And then a few years down the track, they want to learn another language. And then suddenly it's like, well, hang on, what's the grammar that goes? Is that the, the feminine or the masculine for the word? Oh, crumbs. This is, why was this so much easier when I was a kid? Yeah. Well, we weren't focusing on it when we were kids. We were just absorbing taking it in like sponges and uh in many countries there is the the saying that children are like sponges they, they just absorb and learn well in my experience so are adults yeah. we just as we get older these funny beliefs and filters and ideas get in the way now there is a neurological difference between a 46 year old and a five-year-old but I, I get that and it's important to recognize and know that's true in saying that I believe that for many people that has been given as an excuse for it's not possible because I can't. And if I can't, well, other people probably can't. And what's not happening there is, well, hang on, has somebody, you know, there, there was a, a milestone that was, um, that was achieved by a fellow by the name of uh, Roger Bannister. And before he, there you go. Before he did it, it was, there were literally people believed that it was impossible. You know, the Wright brothers flew an airplane. 66 years later, most people believe that humanity put a man on the moon. You know, these, ah, these are massive. Well, I, I like how you, by the way, you worded that because I'm listening to your conversation. So, <laughs> now, because I was going to say, now, I, I, I want to, for all our listeners there, in case you missed that, now I have to question. Do you believe that somebody was put on the moon, or do you believe that other people believe that somebody was put on the moon? And are we now going to go on a different tangent of a conspiracy theory of the man on the moon? That's what I want to ask because I am listening. All I do, I'm taking it all in. Absolutely. Where do you stand up? Because I was going to ask you after you finish your conversation about beliefs. I'm like, well, let's we should model on the flat earthers who realize the flat the world is flat. Because they're going to find they'll make it successful. So anyway, go for it. Well, look, the, to me, that's one of the beautiful things about NLP is it's not woo-woo, okay? Often uh, when I'm training with a group or when I'm working with people one-on-one, -on -one, a comment the comment's often made, wow, this is magical. That I agree with. This is magic. Uh, there, I'm not so sure. That's a different conversation, what your beliefs are around magic and what that word means. But the effect is magical. When, when, when you work with somebody that has had a problem that they've carried with them for their, the last 30 years and they think about it every day and it's a big problem, and then 20 minutes later, they're unable to recover the bad feeling. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of my favorite questions to clients is, 
well, if you can't find it, look, if you really want help, I can give it back to you. And they go, no, 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 no. Like, I'm happy with the result. Well, to me, that's magical. Now, I've been the client, okay? Um, uh, I, I, I don't know where I learned it from. Uh, somewhere along the lines, I learned to have a fear of heights. And then I learned to get better and better at it to the point where I would have vertigo thinking about heights. And uh, mix in with that, I... Uh, I have a memory where I think it started, but I don't know. I'm not too sure. I had a uh, what can only be described as a phobic reaction to large spiders. Not the little, little bitty ones, but anything big. Uh, I quite happily run through small children to get away and use the children to block the spider and then burn the house down. You know, it was quite reasonable in my estimation. Um, and these weren't very useful for me. Uh, one of the company, one of the businesses I owned was an air conditioning company. Oof. And fuzzy bugs like being cool and hot warm as well um and when you're working at height my of course my greatest fear was if i had to go up high in a trade environment i would be sweating bullets but i'd go up there to not cop it from my co-workers i'll be terrified i'll be uh, you know fighting off uh, vertigo and i'd be sweating bullets and i'm seven eight meters off the ground it's not that big a deal I, and i'd be in a harness i couldn't have fallen if i wanted to but my body was already reacting to what my mind was doing. And my greatest fear was while up there, a fuzzy bug would come to visit. <laughs> now, Double whammy. thankfully, not a, not a very, uh, not a general occurrence. I don't know whether spiders don't live, like living up high or what it was, but uh, it didn't happen. It wasn't a normal occurrence. Now, um, as you've said that, you've now, I've now recounted a interesting fact that some of the most poisonous spiders are found at high altitudes in Chicago. Well, I don't live in Chicago, so that's I not... Know, I know, I noticed that you're looking right. But I was like, I've heard there's some funnel, there's some funnel spiders that are, they call them Superman, I think it's Superman spiders that are hanging off the, the buildings at the side of, of Chicago and they are highly poisonous. I don't know why, but I've got a memory there huh. of it. Weird. Anyway, oh, that's just very possible. my mind. Sorry. But uh, yeah, for me, uh, I was in July 2016. I met Dr. Richard Bandler. Um, I had come across his name many times in books. I, uh, his work, obviously, yeah. NLP, uh, was co-created by Dr. Bandler and uh, Dr. John Grinder uh, in the US and the California early 70s. Uh, and 2016, after a conversation with my mate Dave, who everyone on the planet needs a mate Dave. My first mate <laughs> my in the world. Dave, I love it. Um, uh, I was talking to Dave, and he, he said to me, "Hey, look, your life's great, da 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 da." But if you had, if you got to do something different, or you wanted to do something different, what would you really want to do? And it was a perfectly timed question because this was something I was thinking of. And I went, "You know, I really want to find out if this NLP, in the format that I've learned it and how I've been utilizing it for the last de two decades, is that what was actually taught by the co-creators?" Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll find one of them. So I found one of them. Three hours later, I'd booked my flights and I was heading to Florida in six weeks' time to meet him. And uh, I, 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 the, the very first time I met Richard Bandler, Dr. Bandler, um, I was on the 14th floor of the hotel and the, the elevator went bing and the doors opened and I stepped in because that's what you automatically do when doors open. And I stood there and I looked at the person in the elevator and, you know, it, it obviously wasn't used to him when I said, you're Richard Bandler. <laughs> <laughs> and he just grinned and he went, yes. And I went, ah, oh, I'm Orlando. <laughs> Took me a moment for the, for the brain to kick in and go, this is the bit where you say other words. And uh, yeah, so sure enough, a couple of days later, um, I, I completed the practitioner training with Richard. And in the first 30 minutes, <clears throat> absolutely blew my mind. Brilliant. Uh, he literally took the model that we'd taught me, that I had been taught and successfully using, by the way, and turned it upside down, and its effectiveness went through the roof. Wow. And uh, it was in, in one series of statements where on a, on a board just like this, he had written up NLP. Uh, he, he described NLP, and he wrote the word, is an attitude that has skills and methodologies that leaves a trail of techniques. Now, what I had learned um, 20 years earlier was primarily techniques. If you do this, this happens. If you do this, this happens. Yeah. If you do this, this happens. So what do you do when the client doesn't do that? Nice. You do this harder. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> the first thing again, brilliant. But the moment you've got skills and methodologies, those skills, you can start flipping the sausage in a different way. You can start manipulating the language that you're using, the experience that the client is giving you. You can start eliciting from them how specifically they are doing whatever it is that they're doing that they do not want to be doing so that you can either get in the, ideally get in the way of the entire process and have it uh, be, have whatever the stimulus for, for the problem was becomes the stimulus for the new solution. Yeah. And this was just mind blowing to me. And it started with that attitude primarily of curiosity and determination. Because if you're curious enough as to what's going on for yourself in your own journey, you had a certain curiosity about uh, depression. And now you didn't even have a label for it. You just had what's going on for me. Yeah. And uh, as you were telling me earlier on, and so you went looking for well, what is going on? Well, that took a certain level of curiosity and a certain level of determination to get an answer. Yeah. And then the answer you were given was depression. It's like, right, oh, well, I've got one of those. Probably best find out what it is. You know, it's a whole word. Where yeah. do I keep it? You know, uh, maybe I should put it somewhere else. And further from that, you started looking for solutions. Well, that takes even more determination. And you, you became even more curious when you started finding out about this NLP thing you heard several times. Then you started finding out what other people could do with it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but at that point, whatever it was, you wanted some of it. Yep. <laughs> well, when people begin to look at their, what they used to term to be problems as things that they're doing that simply get a result they're not happy with, you know, Think, think about a, um, a person that uh, uh, has anxiety. Well, if they know that they're going to do it next week, next month, that's actually called a plan. Now, I wouldn't call it a good plan. Yeah. But if, if they were to say, well, every time I walk outside, I get anxiety, for example, or every time I meet these type of people, I get anxiety. Well, number one, there's an element of planning there. But number two, that's really efficient. Have you ever noticed a phobic that forgets to um, have a phobia of the elevator? No one ever walks on the 10th floor and goes, oh, cruddy, oh, look, my apologies, mate. I told you I was phobic. I'm just going to run back downstairs and freak, freak the hell out. You know, like, I, I'm sorry, I should have done that. They never forget to do it. So it, does, does that mean they've got a really big problem or is that an example of an exquisite piece of learning which never fails? Yeah. Now, when you start looking at it like that, you go, well, if I can learn that, how quick, how long did it take to, to learn a phobia? Does not take long at all. Usually single past learning experience reinforced over time, stimulus response relationship. That's it. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, if you can learn one thing in a single pass, what else can you learn? I was listening to Andrew Huberman on his uh, podcast just a few days ago, and he was talking about... Um, uh, at university level, um, from a chemistry perspective, they're looking at what mix of, of chemicals the brain needs to learn as quickly as possible. Right. And funnily enough, they're finding that the, the chemicals that appear to be optimum are very similar, if not the same, to the chemical state of a human brain when they're in a heightened state of awareness. <laughs> So that's, that goes back to the premise that we were talking about before. So the heightened state of awareness is, is where we can get to with meditation and hypnosis. Yeah. Well, as Milton Erickson, uh, the grandfather of hypnosis, uh, his description of hypnosis, keep in mind he was a medical doctor in the 1950s, so things had to be a little fancy. His description of hypnosis was the loss of the multiplicity of the foci of attention. Oh, no. That's now, a very big word that you've used, but I can completely understand. And I'm like, that does make an awful lot of sense. Well, flip it on its head. If you lose the multiplicity, what have you got left? Yeah. Singular focus or very narrow focus of attention and a heightened ability to focus. And therefore, what happens when you put all of, when every cell in your body and every ounce of who you are is towards achieving a task? how much exponentially does the potential for success go up? Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. And, and the opposite is when you're completely distracted by a million and one things, how easy is it to get anything done? <laughs> yeah. Ping, 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 ping. <clears throat> I love this. So Orlando, I've got a question. 
for any of your clients, I don't know, I, I, I know we spoke previously and I know this is like the, our first encounter because it always pops up and it pops up with, with a lot of people. And, and, and when I always say, oh, I do meditation and a lot of people say, oh, I, I can't meditate. Now that's, that's a trigger for me because I always, I always answer, are, are you one of those people that says you can't meditate? For years, I was a non-meditationerizer. <laughs> I was incapable of the job. Right. Can you now? Uh, I can do what I call meditation. So I, I will, because I would like to challenge that, because I always say if you can breathe, you can meditate. Simple as. If you can breathe, you can meditate. Love and it. There's, that's, 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 that's meditation. It's focusing on the breath, which is the, 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 your very long word, but the simplitude of all the outside focuses we bring to one. That's meditation. I love that. So that's brilliant. So what do you say if people come to you and say, oh, NLP doesn't work for me? Um, I, I, I would, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. I, NLP is not a thing and its job is not to work for you. <laughs> Next. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love taking the mickey, but, but I, I want to know what that means. NLP doesn't work for me. I mean, that's as clever. It's as clean a statement. Or sorry. As sensible a statement as uh, meditation hasn't fixed my problems. Yeah. <laughs> Well, where is this meditation? Let's let's interview them and find out what they're doing wrong. Yeah, um, these are processes we're talking about. And what I want to know is, if someone says NLP doesn't work for me, then what I want to I want I literally want them to explain to me what does that mean. And I have had not quite worded like that, but very very similar. I've had pointed out to me, oh, it's all hocus pocus. It's all just rubbish. It doesn't work. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. And I'll be like, okay, hang on, what did it not do for you specifically? Oh, well, um, I, I, I was afraid of falling off buildings and I'm still afraid of, of falling off buildings. And I'll say, well, okay, so you're upset because this technology didn't make you stupid. Come on now. Well, no, it's not that. Okay, so you, whatever the problem is, I haven't got the solution, but often the problem isn't the problem unto itself or it's not very well defined and um, not all nlp practitioners are great at what they do okay not all not all, every industry that you look at in the world there are differing levels of skill yep. now if somebody has what would be termed as a very straightforward issue then most practitioners will be able to assist but like i i, uh, I coach a lot of practitioners therapists um people helpers of different genre and enhancing the work they do using skills of NLP and NLP practitioners themselves uh, as a trainer. And the, one of the first things I say to them is, look, what do you actually, what does your client want to achieve? And the very first thing in most good coaching sessions, uh, in my opinion, is to find out from the client specifically what they want. Yeah. And NLP would call that a well-formed outcome. Yeah. Number one, it has to be, it has to be, it must be uh, stated in the positive. Yeah. Well, I didn't lose, NLP didn't make me lose weight. Right. Well, what did you want? I wanted to lose weight. Right. So did you ever consider surgery? Like just cut your arm off with a chainsaw because that will work. Oh, no. Well, that's not what I mean. Well, how about you explain what you mean? Oh, well, I, I want to be slimmer. Okay. Hold your breath. Look at that, it worked. Oh, that's not what you mean. All right, so the, the way I described it is I go, stop. If you were a travel agent and I walked in and said, I've got 2,000 pounds, I want you to book my holiday, and I do not want to go to Spain. Where are you booking my ticket for? Even I'm confused and I'm listening to you. Well, absolutely right. Now, a travel agent, the first thing they're going to say is, okay, I understand you don't you do not want to go to Spain. Where do you want to go? Or give me some options of where you, an idea of what you want. You know, the travel agent cannot book the ticket based on what you do not want. Yeah. And if I am your travel agent guiding you towards change, if you want to leave what you want up to me, that's dangerous because I've got a pretty awesome imagination and a <laughs> wicked sense of humor from New Zealand that yeah. most people here don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Now, and at that point, the client will usually say, "Well, okay, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be fat." I say, "Well, what do you want to be?" And it's really interesting. It never ceases to amaze me 
very rarely is it the opposite of the word linguistically. I don't want to be fat. What do you want to be? Healthy. Because the opposite is slim. But healthy is very different to not fat. Well, what does healthy look like to you? What does it sound like to you? In, in very basic language, but I want them to define what will they be like when they are healthy. Yeah. Now, this does two things. It, it allows me to know what it is they're actually targeting towards. More importantly, it allows the client to find out what they actually want. Yeah. Because our entire neurology works best when we're targeting towards something. When we're moving towards things, our neurology gets involved. When I pick up this glass, my hand, uh, there's more neurologically happening at speed at the moment I touch the glass and the moment it touches my lip than the time in between. The closer we get to the goal, the faster our neurology is geared to move towards. But if we don't know, you know, the, 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 I love cliches. I am a lover of cliches. If you don't know where you're going, you'll probably get there. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know? Um, and when you do know where you're going, the converse happens. Now, this doesn't mean that you just decide what you want and then all happy days, everything happens, and the universe provides and you don't have to do anything. <clears throat> it all just flows into your life. It may feel like that, but you will also be doing something about it. You are taking control because you know, if a client comes in, if, if, they want to, if they want to lose weight and then they redefine that, they want to change their lifestyle, they want to change their body shape, they want to change their energy level, their fitness level, whatever is right for them, they can then reverse engineer from that to where they are now, yeah. what steps they have to take, and they can do it in, um, uh, in bite-sized pieces. So if that's their elephant, they can eat it one bite at a time. Not yeah, so nice for the good. elephant, yeah. but yeah. It's just such a, uh, it's a simple, uh, NLP as a model for me, the, one of the things I enjoy about it the most is I can put across simple concepts to people with simple instructions that are steeped in huge complexity because human pe human beings are, but we do not need to understand all of the complexity to be able to do something. Yeah, I don't know how my DVD player works, but when I put the thing in, apparently there's a laser and it comes on the screen. <laughs> I, I still I, I've had one for years, and they're they're now all but semi semi redundant. I still don't know how they work, and I've watched many movies. I mean, my technical knowledge is it doesn't work. You wallop it, you know, like. Yeah. that doesn't work you turn it off and turn it back on again if that doesn't work you throw it away and get another one yeah you know Love it. um it's not to say that there isn't great complexity going on but do you really need to know all of that or do you just need to know how to change the channel or the button to adjust to get the change that you want in your life yeah and for me when i first uh, found these skills First, I wanted to use them so I could press other people's buttons to get them to buy things. I was a salesperson. That was my job. My boss thought it was great. Uh, sales went through the roof. And they wanted to know what I was doing. And I said, until you pay for my course, I'm not telling you. So, perfect. <laughs> could you share as an example of how to do that then? How to do what? Sorry. How to increase, not increase sales, but I, I, eliciting uh, an emotional state, a positive emotional state in people. Um because I, because I, I do love NLP, and I um, I do it at the checkouts at supermarkets, <laughs> because oh. I just I see people so, it looks like they're so unhappy being the supermarket checkout person, and I I tr I I do it to them when I when I leave the checkout. So at least for five minutes, they're like, oh, I really enjoy. You see, I do. I begin. I, I if I'm gonna, and, and I do very similar. I, if people are going, if people have taken, if people are trading the moments of their life for an income to that that I get to benefit from, that is, if I go into a shop, someone's traded the moments of their life for money, and they serve me. I got a lot of time for that. Yeah, I've been there. I've done that. I still do it in a different way, but when I go in. I enjoy what I call playing with everyone that I meet yeah. and I want them to smile as soon as possible. Yeah. And that's, that's a little bit of um, selfishness on my part. If someone's going to serve me, I want to look at a smile. <laughs> that's true. You know, I don't think it's fair that I get to make their day better after I leave. Yeah. <laughs> I want them smiling from the moment I get there. And it, it's as simple as uh, being aware 
of how different people communicate and the language that they use. Um, now, in a, in a very short, um, snappy situation like that, where you meet someone only for a minute or two, when I get to the counter, wherever I am, I don't wait for them to say hi there or anything like that. I say to them, hi there, how you doing? And they sort of look at you like, what do you want to know? <laughs> and I'll, I'll sort of look around and regardless of how many people in the store, I'll say, been busy? Are they keeping you busy? And usually people go, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's a bit slow today. I go, oh, man, well, I hope it gets busier because that clock starts moving faster. Before you know it, you're done and you're out of here and you are going home. The weather is fantastic. You can go to the beach. You can do anything you want to do around here. Now, I'm meeting them where they are. We're both here. It's as busy as it is. And I then allow them the thought. I, I encourage them, I should say, them to have the thought. Um, as it gets busier, that clock feels like it moves faster. Most people have had that experience, which means that it's going to hit quit in time quicker and you get to get out of here and enjoy those things you enjoy when you're not at work. And I very rarely do you get people go, oh, that's terrible. I wanted to stay at work all night. <laughs> <laughs> they usually smile and they laugh and you make a bit of a joke out of it. And before I leave, I do what it, do, I, I will physically pause to allow the opportunity to make eye contact. So they know I'm speaking to them. And when I get that contact, I'll be like, thank you. I appreciate it. And I walk out yeah. just a moment and changing my state into one of pure gratitude for a moment. Yeah. All it is. And people can, you can feel that change. When someone's in a shop and they go, yeah, thanks. And they're walking off. That's a communication. When they stop and they go, Thank you. You have a good day. The inherent message there that we all understand is I've then stopped and I've gifted them another moment of my life. Yeah. And very little that we have in this world is more important than time. Yeah. You know, my mother taught me that when she left, uh, literally left the world when she passed away. Suddenly my entire concept of time changed. My value system went and changed. Yep. Things that were vitally important the day before suddenly didn't matter. And I, I speak to my dad and my other siblings and I laugh that, you know, it's now uh, 20 plus years on and I'm still learning things from my mother. <laughs> you know, um, the longer I've put up with myself, the more I realized that she had the patience of a saint. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. So I, I look, I love the fact that you, you went out and worked with uh, Richard Bandler. I'm a big fan of his work. And now you touched on something that NLP is not woo woo, because there's this word that keeps popping up, which is, oh, that's woo woo. But woo woo works. That's the thing. I think that's the biggest misconception about everything, especially when it comes to woo woo is woo woo actually works, whatever your woo woo is. Absolutely. Meditation, hypnosis, NLP. Uh, what is the, there was one lady, I was the Akashic Records, um, um, tapping. All these things which are classed as woo-woo actually have massive benefits for your mental well-being, your mental health, your emotional states. But yet there's that tag and that belief that it's woo-woo. And yeah. I find that fascinating because... It's it's woo woo works. Well, I, I think the uh, I think the the walls are beginning to come down between what is woo woo and what is not. I mean, in, in every model in medical science, there is woo woo. Now, what I mean by I'll just define woo woo that which I cannot define. Okay. Okay. Um, to me, things that have a magical effect have a magical effect. Are they magic? I do not know because otherwise I'd explain them to you and then it wouldn't be magic. So technically um, you're saying the DVD player is woo-woo. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when uh, I, I, I only speak English. When other people are speaking other languages, I don't understand what's happening. But if I'm around them, I can start getting a feel for what's going on by the way they're communicating, because not all communication is words. I can pick up on the paraverbal, I can pick up on their um, nonverbal body language, their cues, the way they're relating to one another, and you can start getting a feel for the conversation if you're actually there. But if you're only hearing it, not so much. You can still pick up a lot from tonality. Um, 
but uh, when, when you're know, being there, you collect a lot more data very quickly when all of your senses get to do so. The, what I mean by NLP not being woo-woo, NLP creates a lot of woo-woo effect and um, there, there's a lot around it. I mean, there's a huge amount that I cannot explain, but what I really enjoy about, uh, what I enjoyed about NLP and I still enjoy it today is there is structure behind the magic. It's why the book was called The, Mag the Structure of Magic, the first book. You know, there is method behind the madness. It's not just random, yeah. okay? It's not random that near on every person I've ever worked with that's had a bad memory they cannot get away from has learned to get away from it and quickly. That's, yeah. that's not random, okay? There's a methodology there. There's skills and methodologies. They leave a trail of techniques. Sometimes the techniques are repeatable with different people. Yeah. Sometimes the technique is designed and it's it works with one person because of their specific circumstance. That's called a specific collection of skills for an individual. But the difference is, and here's how I'd explain the difference. I can't prove that a human being has been on the moon unequivocally because I cannot test it in my sensory experience. I haven't been there. I didn't see it happen. I didn't hear it going on. I was not there. I wasn't even born. Okay. okay. Now, based on based on the information that I have learned through my life that's been available to me, I do believe that a human being's been on the moon. I believe there's enough evidence for me to form a belief about it. It's also not something that greatly impacts my life. Okay. So therefore, there's enough evidence. I'm good to believe that. Happy days. No, I've never done the equations that Copernicus did. I don't no. know that the Earth is round. I haven't been to space. I haven't looked at it. I haven't flown around it. I have been high enough in an airplane that I could see what appears to be the curvature of the earth. Right. Uh, maybe a flat earther would tell me that's just the windows they put on the plane. Got a good point. <laughs> um, I, I welcome anyone, anyone that believes in the flat earth uh, to, to fly for 24 hours and tell me they're still going over the flat bit. <laughs> you know, it makes Especially more <laughs> It makes more sense to me that the earth is round than it makes sense that it's flat. And cats would have pushed everything off the edge by now. I mean, let's, let's be fair. Oh, that's fair. I like that. That's a little <laughs> touch there. So even now, I'm thinking how, because I've not looked into the flat earth. I did watch the documentary of the flat earthers. And there was a few, there was a few things in there that I'm like, well, that's actually not that far from the truth. But I just think there's so many things that, that would suggest that, that there is a flat earth. It's not a flat earth, obviously. Because I was just thinking about the time zones as you go around and how do they work? That's, anyway, and I'm looking at a map. That's now, anyway, I don't want to get on that. that. The whole premise of this conversation was not to go down the flat earther, but that's hilarious. <laughs> okay, so that at least, you, yeah, and that's why I just think woo-hoo. It's, it's well, here's of, another a difference. Lot of my clients, I'm, uh, sorry, a lot of the podcast uh, guests I've been having on, we've talked about woo-hoo. And I'm like, it's not woo-woo if it works, because then you go on to law of attraction, you go on to all these other things and all these other different modalities, um, because you, you do hypnosis as well. Yeah. Well, so do you. You just don't call it that. No, because that's the conversation that we had, which was the difference between <laughs> meditation and uh, hypnosis. Yes. And to, to me, both of these, neither of them, we're going back to the conversation we, we touched on earlier that neither of these are things. Okay. You can't have depression. You can't have anxiety. You can't have um, hypnosis and you can't have meditation. It's not yours to keep. You, you can't have it as, and when I mean that, I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not downplaying anyone's experience of depression or anxiety. I, I, That's not I what I'm saying. Agree. However, um, there's a language pattern within one of the NLP language models that might clear this up a little. It's called a nominalization. Right. A nominalization is where you take a process word, a verb, and you freeze it in time and you make a name, noun out of it. So if, if, if you and I are engaging in the process of hypnosis, I may be hypnotizing you, you may be hypnotizing me, but I'm not giving you a, a hypnosis. You know, this is a glass. I can hand this to you. I can't hand you a hypnosis. It's not a thing. It's not a proper noun. Okay. Depression is a process that is occurring for individuals and they are part of the process. It's not yeah. separate from them. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know, I understand that Winston Churchill, he started it. No, yeah, Winston <laughs> Churchill, um, he, he would call 
his depre- he called depression the black his black dog the black dog when it comes and visits yeah now i personally took offense to that because my best mate in the world was my little dog called shiva and she was black <laughs> She's the most joyous little mate that i've ever had in my life but the problem with the problem that i see with calling it the black dog giving it a name and a personality and and a physical appearance is it's bringing it into a form of reality now for people that are experiencing the process of depression or anxiety or these things it's very real for them of course but that does not mean it's real in the external world what's happening internally and what's happening externally are different um for example most people that are doing anxiety need to stay inside their head and breathe quickly more inhalation than exhalation to maintain anxiety yeah because it's a new, the the, the phys- physiology knows what to do yeah and it re- it requires faster and more in breaths than out breaths and funnily enough no matter who you are on the planet if you've never experienced anxiety Breathe in 20 times and do not breathe out. See how your body reacts. You might not call it anxiety, but I doubt you're going to call it happiness. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's not a pleasant feeling. So your body starts reacting because your body knows what to do to keep the organism alive. That's the brain's job. Yeah. Okay. So it's a reaction to what might be happening on the, it might've started on the outside. A thought process occurs. The physiology gets involved Look, anyone that's ever been around or had children has seen what happens when kids get wound up. There's no there's no talking sense to them. You have to de-escalate with them their physiology so their brain kicks in, right? Yeah. The moment that brain kicks in, the moment they get getting their physiology under control, and the brain starts to be able to fire and seek different ideas, different solutions. That's when you can have a conversation and bring things into conscious awareness, but. When, when, the, when the physiology takes control, as it were, where, when it gets the ball is rolling, yeah. well, that's a certain amount of energy moving in a direction. You've got to slow that process down to be able to make a change to it. A, a runaway freight train is not so easy to change direction 180 degrees. But if you slow it down you to it, and then it pauses, you can put it on a pivot and send it back the other way. And interestingly, uh, for, for most people experiencing anxiety, they're not all, uh, there's always exceptions to the rule, but by far the majority of people that experience anxiety on a regular basis, they can actually tell you specifically where it starts in their body. Yeah. They can tell you where it moves to. They can tell you what, it ha- what direction it has to loop for it to get stronger. Yeah. They can tell you what happens when it gets faster and it takes over more of their body and their breathing and da 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 And that's a great time to take their wrist and say, slow down. So what happens if you de-escalate the movement and then you pause and you go back the other way? What's that feeling? You've already got and, me feeling calmer already. Well, it, it, it works. It, it, you, you, the body must do something to feel stuff. Stuff's moving. If you can identify in your imagination, but that's where, you pro- that's where the evil, nasty, yucky things are as well, by the way. That's the monkey mind. It's in the imagination all the way locked down, all the way in the subconscious. 100%. It's the imagination that creates the enzyme. I, right there with you. Right there with you all. I, I, I love the monkey mind, uh, the, the the way that you present it. I've obviously uh, Google searched you and snooped around. I've already <laughs> found you on social media. Um, but look, you know, a lot of people like others to believe that NLP is this... Uh, great academic subject and you've got to know all the titles and all the techniques and daddy that's absolute codswallop just not true um i personally view most of it as uh the the majority work i do with people is i educate i do it with a lot of mind play yeah these these are mind games they're mind tricks yeah people go well what good could a trick be this is a real problem i'm like no 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 it's a real it trick, a and now we're going to use a different trick. It, it isn't, your mind is already playing a game. Your, your, your monkeys are already dancing in their circus formation. It might just not be a good information. Yeah, they might not be well in formation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, you know, I, 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 that's one of those, and I, I even now to this day, 
when I when I'm working when not working with people, but just in in, in conversations. And and I I genuinely I do love NLP because when you start talking about NLP, some people would say no, you're wrong. And I'm no, I'm like I'm just giving you a perspective. I'm giving you a point of view. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, have you thought about looking at like this and, and things? And a lot of the times, oh, when I've got a lot of friends and family say, I have, I have, I, I have anxiety. I, I actually try and help. Actually, you don't have anxiety. And that's okay. You just have a collective of thoughts that's creating a pattern that creates the physicality. And you can, and it, that's when a lot of people do zone out. <laughs> I'm like, all right, fair enough. Not a problem. Because I, a lot of people, we talked about it on a previous podcast with somebody else. I talked to somebody about it and they said, you know that, that mental health is that badge and that label that people like to have as an excuse when there's so much information out there that can actually make these things go away. But then there's the association. We, we remember there's the association of last time something happened is created that behavior and there's that connection and we still just keep going back to that, but it's not it's no longer serving you at this moment in time. And yeah. that's that's the other part of the, the NLP that I've, I've always enjoyed doing, especially working with people and things like that, especially when it comes to behaviors. Yeah, I mean, there's a big part of that as well in the labeling of things, whether, whether it's called the black dog or whether it's called depression or whether it's called anxiety, the minute it's got a label, fortunately and unfortunately, we have available through these things and the, these things more information than has ever been available on the planet, but it doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it real. Correct. It doesn't make it true. Yeah. It's just on the internet. You know, uh, in fact, it was just yesterday I was reading some advice from um, Albert Einstein on what he thinks about COVID. Well, I don't know, but I had a feeling he's dead. You know, like, now I can't, I can't prove in my sensory experience that he's dead, but I fail to believe he's alive. And people are putting quotes and trying to relate it towards the current situation. I'm sorry, but that just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, what it does do is, unfortunately, if people... Okay, that's a pretty obvious one, but yeah, you start, and unfortunately, this is what happens, um, especially a lot of young people that uh, I work with, an increasingly large number of young people, unfortunately. And I say that because I'm working with them asked to come in as a therapy role rather yeah. than an educational role. Yeah. And I'd much rather educate, and I do that anyway, than give therapy. Yeah. Um, my own experiences of therapy have not been particularly flash. And do you know what? The amount of people that say that therapy didn't work for them. And I, I, I look, I come from a place that there, I, a lot of, a lot of my clients have said, you know, therapy didn't work because it didn't give me the solutions to get me moving forward. And I'm like, I can't disagree with you. Not a problem. That's fine. I, I, but for anyone else that that's listening, no therapy does work. I am not saying that it doesn't. Whatever works for you, you do. If Bingo. You, that's that's the the especially when it comes to this podcast. Whatever works for you, do it. We're not here to say that these processes. Well, as, as long as it's working for you and it's ecological for everyone else around you as well. Yeah, you know. Um, and look, the the, you know, the the if you like pure psychology and therapy was it's not the track that attracted me. It doesn't work for me. It's not what I'm interested in. However, in saying that, whether it be psychiatrists, psychoanalysts, uh, counselors. There is a place for all of this, you know, and I think it's high time that a lot of people got off their little high or low horse about which one's the bestest. Correct. And goes, well, hang on a secondist. You know, if I'm not, <laughs> um, I want to speak to a medical doctor. Uh, let's say for a, a while ago, I had a problem with my, my leg was going all wonky wonky from a, a previous injury. I, I guessed it was. So I went to a medical doctor. I sought their opinion. I went to an acupuncturist. And I spoke to a friend of mine who's a hypnotist. Right. Now, uh, I'm, I'm willing to throw anything at, at moving in the direction I want to go. But I want the value of medical science. I want the value of holistic healing. I want the value and uh, of what's useful for me. And the reason I chose those three, I've had good success with all three in the past for myself. Yeah. Now, that's not the advice that I'm giving someone else if their leg feels a bit funny because I don't know their history. It's not my leg. Yep. But they do. When, they stop, when people stop and they think to themselves, what's worked for me in this situation before or something similar, you may be surprised at the answers that you get. And it might be ring the doctor. It could be phone a friend. It might be ring your mum. Yeah, you know, mum, how did you make that chicken soup? My nose is runny. And I remember last time I had you made chicken soup and it went away. Well, you know, there might be a bit of a placebo effect in mum's chicken soup, but 
It works. Um, placebo is work. I was talking well, to one of my other placebo is placebos are 60% effective. Whereas antidepressants are 64% effective. So it's a so 4% difference. If you just take a few extra of the placebo, you cover your basis. <laughs> Side effects. I have to reference my friend David Knight, uh, and he, he, whether it's his quote or not, I got it from him, and I'm like, wow, that's a phenomenal quote. And he said, the mind is the body's pharmacist. Was that what he said? The, the mind is the body's oh, yeah. pharmacist. Well, and it's true. You, well, it, the, the brain is, uh, the, the mind is the pharmacist, and the brain is the pharmacy. Ah, nice. Between these two things here, um, despite what my mother said, it's not sawdust, it's fat and goo and liquid and chemicals yeah. with a tiny bit of blood and some bone in there as well. I like, I like to think a little bit of sense and some wisdom. But in, in that brain, the majority of drugs that are taken, not all, but the majority of drugs that are produced, they do not affect the body directly. They affect the brain, which then stimulates the brain to do something that affects the neurology. So the drug goes into the blood system, it gets through the blood-brain barrier, the brain goes, oh, we feel the need to make more of this stuff and less of that stuff. This, the body gets flooded with this stuff, the effect is had. You know, um, you know the, the antidepressants, I mean, I'm not a big fan because I like language. Yeah. You know, at least in the 60s and the 70s, at least in the 60s and 70s, if you bought drugs off a dealer, they called them uppers and happy pills, not yeah. antidepressants. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they, they, their purpose is to increase levels of um, whether it be dopamine or serotonin, um, add to that a bit of endorphins jumping around, your oxytocin level goes up, gets through the blood brain barrier, and whee, it's happy juice time. Yeah. Or you could go for a walk, pat a dog, or eat something yummy. Yep. Now, you might not get the same high, but from my experience, the majority of people that are taking an antidepressant, they're not looking for a high. They're looking to baseline. They're looking to feel capable of making changes, making choices. Well, the funny thing is they can learn to do this by using the pharmacy between their ears, by being, as uh, your friend David Knight was saying, be their own pharmacist. Yeah. You use their own mind. But again, all of this is all very well, but how? Well, how is these chemicals are produced when you are feeling those emotion things, you know, those, those nominalizations we were talking about. <laughs> um, gonna, I, I've got visions of people going, what was a nominalization again? Because that's what I was like, what, what is a nominalization? Really, words, yeah. But I want to be happy. I want to feel good. I, I want to be calm. I want to relax. I want to. Um, what, I want to feel bliss. I want to feel euphoric. These are all naturally occurring states that we've labelled, right? So they're just labels. But we can reverse from the label. We can think back into our past when we had an experience of that label. Yeah. When did you last feel you? When when was the most powerful for, feeling of euphoria you've had in your life? When when have you experienced bliss, calm, relaxation? Now there are people that cannot find reference points for some of these. Well, there are other processes and what's called design human engineering, which is an extension of NLP design uh, created by Dr. Richard Bandler, where you literally create feelings. Yeah. Because of course we can do it. How do you think you got the ones you've got? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, some people work have a very small group of emotions that they work through, but you can start separating them out and making even more distinctions so that you can choose more accurately how you want to feel going into the next day and the next day and the next day. Now, these processes predominantly are simple, but be very clear. They're not always easy. Correct. Sometimes you've got to have a bit of curiosity and a whole lot of determination and tenacity. But here's the crazy thing. I think you're worth it. Yeah. Because. I want to buy shampoo off you at this moment in time. I don't know why. Shampoo. Yeah. You sure? No. That was the tagline. That was the tagline for L'Oreal because you're worth it. Oh, oh. For the, for the listeners out there, I was just leaning my head down. No, that's no. We're studying successful behavior here, buddy. I should be asking you about shampoo. 
<laughs> Brilliant. But, but it is. I mean, you know, human beings, I, I think the, the majority, not I think, I know the majority of people that I've seen in a training situation or as in a coaching room, uh, they underestimate themselves. You know, um, with, without being silly about it, human beings have the potential to be amazing. Incredible things are done on this planet every day by human beings. And if it's possible in the world, it's possible for you, only a question of how. Now, that's one of the old presuppositions that used to be bantered, and it got stopped from being said because it was taken a little bit too far the wrong way. I am never going to be a seven foot three, 30 year old successful NBA player. That's just not going to happen. Even if the surgery becomes available, I don't want it. Okay, I'm good. I'm quite happy being the me that I am. There are certain limitations that we have physiologically and within the universe that we have not yet learned to get over through or past as a, as a human race. The intention behind possible in the world, possible for me, only a question of how, you know, just because Roger Bannister run four minutes and uh, a mile in under four minutes doesn't mean I can get off the couch and do the same thing because, oh, I believe... Well, I can believe, but my little legs may not believe just the same. <laughs> but if I was to put the same training and uh, put myself into a training and diet regime of someone that was successfully running four-minute miles, I would vastly increase the probability of being able to do so. Absolutely. And for the majority of people, you know, coaching clients that I get, a real common one, I want more money. And I'm like, well, how much more? Oh, well, a million pounds would be nice. And my answer is, no shit. <laughs> what about two million? Hell, what about five million? You know, and I'll say, well, yeah, how often do you want this million pounds? Oh, well, as an annual income, that would be amazing. Like, right, what are you earning now? Turning 22 grand. Righto, what are you going to do for get from there to there? Oh, I don't know, that's why I hired you. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but... When, 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 we, when we start at the finish, when we go, when we get back to that well-formed outcome, of, okay, you're saying you want a million pounds, but what do you actually want? What do you want that you have not got right now? What are you dreaming about? What do you, what's actually in that amount? Are you just seeing yourself having exactly the same life with a million pounds in a bank account? Yeah. Oh, hell no, I'd do so much more. Okay, what would you do? What would you actually be doing? And when they start... Un, uh, opening the door on what those things are. For a lot of people, the dream is a lot cheaper than the number that they came up with in the first place. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to wave a magic pen wand that I talk about a lot. And if, I made, if I wave my magic pen wand, it doesn't mean that you bop them on the head and they suddenly have all of that. But when it comes into perspective and becomes something that they really want, they can define it they start being able to find pathways to it, which means they can do it. Yeah. Just hadn't thought about it from that perspective in the past. I love changing people's perspectives. Honestly, Orlando, thank you so much for this podcast. Yeah. And I mean that sincerely. Thank you so much for spending some of that precious time and those moments uh, with us here at Monkey Mind Relaxation and chatter about the Chatter podcast. Orlando, uh, do, you, do you specifically work with anyone special? What, what is, why should I come and see you, Orlando? <laughs> is, this, is this about to start turning into a counselling session? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, look, um, I, the two primary modalities, like my, my niche, as it were, what am I really good at? Um, I am really good at working with people to understand and build their own capability, building confidence and competence yeah. in equal values. Brilliant. Um, I love working with people and seeing them do what they want to do. Brilliant. Love that. Thank Orlando, thank you so much. Um, and to everyone on this podcast, we've got some more great podcasts coming up. Uh, as always, big love from Cuddy. Uh, get in contact. That's what it's all about whether it's Orlando, whether it's myself, get in contact and get where you need to be in life because it's about getting everyone back on track. Uh, you don't have to struggle with anxiety. It's one of those, it's one of those tough things that I've got. I still got a lot of friends say, oh no, I have anxiety. 
And I'm like, no, you don't. That's fine. It's okay. There's the acceptance part, but we, we move on. You don't have to live like that. There's so many options out there for you. Big love from Cody. Thank you very much to Orlando. Uh, I will see you for the next podcast. Big love from Cody, as always. Fantastic. 